Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. It's great to be back. I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Marian priests here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy, and I'm excited because today we have a beautiful day scheduled. If you're on the grounds, we have a lot of people here uh, for our Holy Souls Conference later today, but we're going to start it with this talk on how to become a saint. And I said to the crowd here earlier, if you can't quite get to the sainthood yet, Father Dan's doing a talk how to get out of purgatory afterwards. So we're very grateful that you could join us. As you can see on your screen, this talk on how to become a saint is not how you think. And it's going to be probably one of the deeper theologies in the midsection I'm going to get when I talk about grace it's gonna really pull you back to seminary. And so my whole goal is to teach you everything I learned in seminary, and here we'll get into some of that, into the depths of that. Let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our minds and hearts to receive the grace you wish to bestow, the grace to lead us to eternal life. And we ask through the intercession of Mary and all the saints, especially St. Faustina, that we can imitate Christ and be like them. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. For those of you who wish to join us, uh, this talk is live. You can see the slides that I'll be referencing on your cell phone. It's on our YouTube channel, Divine Mercy, or Facebook, Divine Mercy Official. But do keep the volume down, please. The volume down. Okay, so how to become a saint. Now, obviously to become a saint, we have to start with what? What's the key to becoming a saint? What's the one word? Holiness. Holiness. Now, the Bible tells us all the way back in Leviticus, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, what is holiness? So to become a saint, we got to become holy, but holiness is not what we think. Holiness is not working miracles. Holiness is not healing. Those are gifts. Those are gifts of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> all right? It's not bilocating. Holiness is not being high level in the church. Oh, he's holy because he's a bishop. It's not about levitation or the stigmata. That is not holiness. Those are gifts. It's not about locutions or even surprisingly saying a whole bunch of prayers and doing heavy fasting, even though that's a sign of holiness that doesn't make you holy. Okay, now, these are all gifts from God, but they are not requirements for being holy. And if we could turn down the sound on our cell phones, please. Um, so these are not requirements, all right? Neither is being a priest or nun. We have some wonderful nuns with us today, okay? I look at myself, and Father Dan's giving a talk later today on purgatory, and I say, you know, I'm going to be the one turning out the lights in purgatory, be because there's so many struggles for a priest, and so much is expected of a priest. That's why we have to pray for them. Okay, now, we are all called regardless of who we are. No matter what our education level is, our job, our state in life, we are all called to be holy. Holiness, holiness, the key to sainthood, is what? It prepares you for union with God. Now, what's a saint? All right, there's two kinds of saints. 
Capital S, small s. What's a capital S saint? Canonized officially, like Saint Therese or Saint Padre Pio or Saint Faustina, Saint John Paul II. Big S, capital S, those are canonized saints, but those are not the only saints. Who are the small s saints? Every soul in heaven. Every soul in heaven is a saint. Now, in the book of Micah, what does it say to become holy? What is holiness? In the book of Micah, it says holiness is two things. This is not difficult. Do what's right and walk humbly with God. Do what's right and walk humbly with God. Now, let's, look, let's unpack that. This ties to Padre Pio. Padre Pio said all the time, what are the two things that holiness is? Padre Pio says holiness is only two things. Obedience, do what's right, and humility, walk humbly with God. That's the whole key to the spiritual life, Padre Pio said. Obedience, do what's right, says the book of Micah, and humility, humbly walk with God. Now, a saint is someone then who humbly conforms their will to God's will, being obedient. You know, when I came to the Marian Fathers and I did my interview, we take the three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. You've heard me say before, poverty to overcome the small g God of the world of money. We take chastity to overcome the small g God of the world of sex. We take obedience to overcome the small g God of the world of power. And I remember Father Larry saying to me, which one do you think you will struggle with? Because we all struggle. And I said, oh, by far, Father, chastity. I, I was engaged to be married. I've seems since I was in high school, always had a girlfriend. It's going to be chastity. And he looked at me and he shook his head and he said, no, it won't. No, it won't. And I, I looked at him like, what? And he said, it'll be obedience because you've done your whole life, your will. You've, you've started your own business, you, 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 you did what you want, you moved where you want, you worked where you want, you did what you want, you're going to have the biggest problem, and doggone if he wasn't right. Obedience, surrendering our will, right? Now, we can do this. What is humility? Humility isn't that difficult. Humility isn't, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so, yeah, we are wretched, we are bad. But humility isn't thinking, you've heard me say this, isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility is just the truth, not making yourself more or less than you really are. Humility is like, I always use the example, Barry Sanders saying, I'm not a good football player. He was the best. That's not humility, okay? Humility is not thinking more or less of yourself. Humility is the truth, okay? Now, we acknowledge the good and the bad in us. Now, here's the thing. What do you do then with what you're good at and what you're bad at? Okay, here's humility. I use my strengths that God gave me for his glory, okay? I only have one strength. I was thinking about this the other day. I only have one strength, and that's my love to teach the faith in the Word of God. That is my one and only strength in this world. 
And so that's why I believe God called me to the priesthood. That is what I believe is my one true only strength. Now, my weaknesses are millions. Okay, impatience, gluttony, you know, um, you know, all this kind of stuff. All right. What do you do with those? So for the gifts he gives you, your strengths, you use them for the glory of God. And what do you do with the weaknesses? Do you sit there and say, oh, how rotten I am? No, you offer them back up to God. And you say, I need help in this area. Like when I was at the airport and I had three minutes to get to the plane and I'm trying to get through security and there's this beautiful family in front of me and they're like nine kids. God bless them. They were Catholic. I guarantee it. And the guy at the security, I got like three minutes to get to the plane and the guy at the security is going to each little child and asking their name and their age. And I'm sitting there going, oh man, oh man. I'm going to miss my plane. I'm going to miss this plane. I'm getting so like nervous. I'm going to miss this plane. If I miss this plane, I'm going to not get another flight out for the night. It's going to be a disaster and I won't make it back here for the talk. And then I realized that's not my strength. Okay. So, so I asked God, I offered up, okay, God, you're going to get me home. If you want me to be able to be at the shrine tomorrow. So we offer it up. That's what we do with our weaknesses. You hear the term all the time, offer it up. Now, that's, that then is humility. Taking our strengths, going to the glory of God, and then offering up our weaknesses, just knowing the truth. I'm good at this, I'm not good at that. That's all it is. Now, what about obedience? The other key to holiness, the key to obedience is following the church. I may not understand church teaching on contraception. I'm not talking blind obedience, but I trust that the church of 2000 years knows better than I do. We can do this. We can do it. Now, Padre Pio said holiness was obedience and humility, but I'm going to simple it, make it even more simple that I learned. And I think it's powerful. What is it? Holiness is someone who simply says yes to God doing God's will over their own will. That's the first commandment. I talk about all the time, people never confess the first commandment. I never hear it confessed in the confessional. And sometimes I forget to confess it. But I think we've all broken it. The first commandment is having no other gods. Well, I don't worship Allah, I don't worship Buddha, but we worship ourselves. Okay, whenever we put our will ahead of God's will. Now, let's look at our next slide. This is Father Benedict Groeschel. He used to be on EWT and God rest his soul. Now, you want to know what he said holiness was? He said holiness was do what God wills as exactly as God wills it because, only because God wills it. With his grace, we can do that. All right, we know the Ten Commandments. We know the seven deadly sins. If you don't, I have a talk on YouTube that you can find about that topic. Now, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose following God or following yourself? Now, the Bible tells us the answer. The wise person who listens to these words and acts on it is like the person who builds their house on stone. The foolish person who doesn't act on it, what do I mean act on it? Act on the Ten Commandments or the Seven Deadly Sins, is like building your house on sand. 
But here it is, everybody, easier said than done. How can the average person do this? I got too many weaknesses, Father. I got too many demands on me, too many challenges. It seems nearly impossible in the every ordinary day life to be holy. We get caught in traffic, we get upset. Our spouse doesn't pick up our child, we get upset. We don't like that somebody said something bad about us, we gossip about them. These are the challenges, but listen to this, everybody. Attaining holiness is not a one-time thing. All of a sudden, I found Jesus Christ on June 29th, 1999, and I professed him as my personal Lord and Savior. It doesn't work that way, and we're going to explain that in a minute. All right? Holiness is a process, and everything and everyone that you are dealing with on your daily basis, co-workers, children, spouses, they are your opportunity to become a saint. They are. When the pile of bills is overwhelming, thank God that you even have a car and a house to pay for. When you're changing your baby's diaper for the sixth time today, thank God that you were given the gift of a child not to see it as the complaint. Personal holiness can be attained in and through our ordinary duties of life, not in spite of them. Becoming a saint is doing your duty every day. Father, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than waking up, um, missing the bus with the kids and getting them off to school, then going to work, being yelled at by my boss, getting caught in traffic, coming home, having to make dinner, having to stop at the grocery store, buy errands, run errands, then set up doctor's appointments. There's got to be more to life than this, than go arguing with my spouse at bed. That's exactly how you grow to be a saint. Exactly how. Who will you be most thankful for at judgment? The saints tell us, those who annoyed you the most. <laughs> those will be the ones you are most thankful for at justice. Those who annoyed you the most, your spouse, your children. There is no way to heaven outside of the cross. And the cross. Now, okay, I, I have been known to be very let's just say less than support of some of the decisions made by Pope Francis. Um, the whole issues of Panchamama, restrictions on the Latin mass, uh, this whole Chinese communist government uh, allowing them to choose the bishops, I, I have been critical, but you know what? In all fairness, when the Holy Father hits a home run, you also deserve to acknowledge it. Let's watch this one-minute clip of the Holy Father telling us what it is to be a saint. This is a home run. So let's watch this clip. Signore, ci doni a tutti noi la speranza di essere santi. Ma qualcuno di voi potrà domandarmi, ma padre, si può essere santo nella vita di tutti i giorni? Sì, si può. Ma questo significa che dobbiamo pregare tutta la giornata? No, no. Quello significa che tu devi fare il tuo dovere 
tutta la giornata. Pregare, andare al lavoro, custodire i figli. Ma farlo tutto col cuore aperto verso Dio, con questa voglia di che quel lavoro, anche nella malattia, quella sofferenza, anche nelle difficoltà, quelle difficoltà, siano aperte a Dio. E così diventeremo santi. Si può. Okay, so we saw in that video what Pope Francis said clearly is the way to the sainthood. As I just told the group here with us at the shrine, it's not about great missionary work you do or praying a thousand rosaries, even though those are good. It's about being faithful to your duties in life. The husband whose wife annoys him to death still is faithful to her. The wife whose husband annoys her to death is still faithful to him. That's what makes a saint. And, and that was a wonderful little clip. All right, now, this, though, it, doesn't this mean that I just have to be a good person? Father Chris, aren't you just telling us then, pay my bills, go to work, make dinner, help my kids with my homework, and be a good person, and that's what it takes, right, to be a saint? Ah, not so fast. That is key. That's the way to get you there. But you can't stop there, all right? Somebody would say to me, Father, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm not going to church, I'm not practicing the sacraments, but God still loves me. Yes, but you've heard me say before, God loves you, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Now, let's talk about this. There's a great article by Father Dwight Longnecker. He's a good priest. I've spoken with him. He has the, the, an article called The Problem with Being Good. Listen to this. This is fascinating. The idea that being good is enough is the most persistent and pernicious heresy in the Catholic Church. Well, I didn't kill anybody. I'm a good person. It's a heresy. All right, the problem with just being good is that you think it's good enough. It isn't. Jesus Christ looked at the scribes and the Pharisees they were very good people. They were following the law. They were fasting. They were tithing. They were respectable people. And Jesus said, you vipers. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you see those people? You've got to be better than them. But they were good. Why? Because they were only good on a natural level, the law. They weren't good on the supernatural level of God. Let's take a look at our next slide. This is Mother Teresa feeding the poor. We see people like Mother Teresa, and we notice she did a lot of good. She fed the hungry. She cared for the poor. All right? Care of the poor. She inspired. And we see that, and we decide, I want to be like this, and then I'm holy. Ah, interesting. We forget, though, that's not what made Mother Teresa holy. What made her holy was her union with God, her prayer, her worship. She was more than good. She was holy, and that's why we now say saint. Her goodness and compassion was higher than just mere human goodness of feeding somebody. All right? When we put being good over being holy, which means now we bring God into it, here's the problem, everybody. We are replacing sanctification with just mere human value, virtue. 
Human virtue is good. It's not enough. You got to become sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Make holy. Now, sanctification is the process by which God makes us holy from the inside, not our outside works. All right, the problem with just mere human virtue is just that. It's just human. It's not of always of God. Just because you do good doesn't mean you're being transformed into the image of Christ. Look at our next picture. You know who this is? So gently playing with those little deer? That's Hitler. That's a picture of Adolf Hitler. You know, Adolf Hitler loved little children and pets. He treated them so good. Look at that picture. Look how gently Adolf Hitler's feeding the baby deer. Oh, he's a good person. He loved children. He loved pets. This is only on the natural level. We need to reach the supernatural. Our love just isn't of a pet. Our love has to be agape of God, God's kind of love. You know, um, one of my family members was talking about somebody in our hometown, and she said, you know, he, he criticizes the church because of our stance on marriage between man and a woman. He doesn't go to church. He's pro-choice. He's in favor of abortion. But he's such a good person. He's such a good person. Well, on the natural level, yeah. But that's not going to get you to heaven. You got to be good. On, and actually, those things are bad on the natural level. But you could be called good on the natural level. It's not enough. All right. God, yes, he loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to stay that way. You've heard me say this. Now, the next problem with only being good is guess what you do? When you say it only matters that you're a good person, nothing else matters, you prove the atheists right. They like to observe, I don't need to be Christian. I don't need a church to be good. You yourself proved it. So if you're a Catholic and you think it's only about being good, you just proved atheists right. We shouldn't just be good. We should be better and not just better, the best. Remember, good, better, best. That's what God is challenging to you. Good is the natural level. I do good things. Better means I start to do them you know, thinking of my salvation. The best is where you do it for God. Now, this is the process the church calls the universal call to holiness. All right, to be holy is not to be extra pious. I tell you what, my dad said this when he was raised by the nuns, and I saw it when I came to religious life. Every single person that I knew in our religious community that walked around, that was too busy to talk to you because they were always praying. And when somebody would come up to them and say, hey, can I talk to you? I can't speak to you. I'm praying. They never made it. They don't make it. That is not what holiness is. I reject you. Don't bother me now. I'm too holy. Okay, it is not. It is not that. It is not extra pious, prudish, or overly prayful. It's to do what God wants. Through right prayer, not pious prayer to be seen, as Jesus says, through love, not just the love of pets, but agape love, giving your life to someone. Through surrender, 
Not my will, but God's will. That's how we draw to Christ. That's how we become more like him. That's how we become holy. That's how we become a saint. This is the primary work of a Christian. And this is done. When it is done, then you are motivated to do good works like Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa did those good works, and non-Catholics have us backwards. They say that we believe the good works makes us holy. We say, uh-uh, when you're holy, you're impelled to do good works. But you got to do them. Matthew 25 says so. God didn't just give us natural gifts and then expect it that we could make it to heaven solely on them. No. No one could become holy alone. On our own strength, no way. We need what? What is the one thing we got to have? Grace. Now I'm going to get into some deep stuff. All right, now I'm going to take you back to seminary. I worked with Chris Sparks, our theologian, pulled up my seminary notes, pulled up St. John of the Cross, pulled up St. Teresa of Avila. Now we're going to get into some deep stuff. Now, Christians must love. Love is the key to get to heaven, because that's the key indicator of a saint. Now, we must love each other, love God first, but also accept his love. And not just love like I love ice cream or Michigan football, which, by the way, Michigan football, I haven't seen all the games recently. And I said, Lord, I'm going to miss another one because I'm going to be here on, the, on uh, campus all day on the, uh, at the, not campus, not the University of Michigan, on Eden Hill all day. So I'm going to miss a game. That's okay. And I said, Lord, I'm going to give you everything I got today. Then I found out Michigan plays at 8 o'clock tonight. <laughs> so that was God saying there's a little gift in return. Now, Agape is that supernatural love that conquers everything. Now, it's not easy to become a saint. I saw a clip online of Father Mike Schmitz, and he listed three things that prevent us from being a saint. And I'd like to repeat these that I borrow from him. One, he said the first thing that prohibits us from being a saint, we need instant gratification. And I'm listening to that, and I'm thinking, oh, man. I'm always running to grab a fast sandwich at Subway or something because I'm, I'm always on the run. I need it quick. Microwave. I can't wait an hour and a half for dinner to be cooked. I need to pop it in the microwave. Um, same day delivery now. We don't even want Amazon to take three days to deliver. We've got to have it same day. All right. We, we want instant gratification. Sanctification is not instant. It's a process. All right. Here, penances of patience can help. Learn to love the process. Is an athlete built in a day? Oh my gosh, it takes these Olympic athletes years to be champion. And a saint is to be a champion. I have a big thing in my office. It's a University of Michigan banner. And it was the words of Bo Schembechler, our famous coach, and it says, those who stay will become champions. That's what Jesus is telling us. When he told the apostles and they walked away, he says, are you going to go too or are you going to stay? Peter says, we're going to stay. Where else are we going to go? Those who stay will become champions. Those who stay that persevere, it's not overnight. That's why these athletes today, it's so disappointing. If they don't start immediately, if they don't come and they don't sign the scholarship and get them big money in day one and they don't start right away and they don't get thrown the ball a hundred times a game, they want to leave. Oh man, come on. Where's the sacrifice for the team? 
You've heard me say when I coached wrestling at a real hot shot freshman, and, and I was coaching, and I said, you know, remember, there is no I in team. He said, no, but there's an M and an E, me. <laughs> That's the problem today, all right? So it's not instant gratification, it's a process, all right? The second, Mike Schmidt said, is our culture. Why is the culture a problem? Well, despite its immorality and its lack of God, the biggest thing he said, non-committal. Nobody wants to commit anymore. This is why you got people living together for 80 years without being married. This is why I don't want to give myself fully to anybody right now. I'm protecting myself. That's the basis of contraception. That's why the church teaches that contraception is wrong. Because you're saying, I won't give myself fully to you. All right? We want options. I want my will, not God's will. God calls us to surrender ourselves to him every day. And the third obstacle that he points out, this is scary. You look at World War II, the greatest generation. People sacrificing. People standing up for a cause. We have lost that fighting spirit. This is the most scary to me. You want to be a champion? You got to fight. Yeah, God will give you all the tools, but he's not going to play the game for you. You got to get out on the field. All right, be a warrior, not just doing what feels good and laying on your couch. All right, there is only one reason we are not a saint yet. We don't want it badly enough. That's what they used to tell me in wrestling. There's only one reason you won't be a state champion. You don't want it badly enough. This is powerful. So now let's get in. Through, there's an article on our Marian website called Through Darkness Into Light. It's basically a process of how to become holy. I'm going to share this with you. This is awesome. All right. We know how to become holy. Well, we receive the Eucharist. That's divine life then. It's, it renews us. It strengthens us when we're confirmed. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit. But you got to activate the Holy Spirit. All right. If you don't utilize him, it's not going to help. Now, it's not quick. Holiness sometimes takes a lifetime. Sometimes we're not even made holy till after death. If you believe what St. Faustina said in Diary 1698, Jesus sometimes makes those souls holy after they die at the moment of their death. All right? But the fire of God's love will burn in you and eventually transform you if you let him, if you surrender. If we open ourselves to his will and give him everything without complaint, offer it up, all right, we will very quickly reach the highest levels of holiness. This is what I realized I did not do in that airport line, all right? This is what we have to do. The saints have given us a roadmap, and here I'm going to go to St. Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. You ever heard of the three levels of the, the interior life? The purgative way, the illuminative way, the unitive way. I'm going to tell you right now, this is masterful Catholic theology, spirituality. And I'm going to summarize it real briefly for you. Okay. <clears throat> the first thing you have to do is have an initial conversion. Some people say at my conversion, they tell conversion stories like Father Don Calloway. Okay, God will give everyone in the world the grace for conversion. Whether or not you respond to it is up to you. What happens in your initial conversion? You believe in Jesus as God, 
you recognize and repent of your sins, belief in God's love for you, this leads then to the first stage, the purgative way. What is the purgative way? Basically getting rid of sin, mortal sin. The purgative way is enough to get to heaven. The purgative way is enough to avoid hell because you, 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 have, you, 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 you cut out mortal sin. All right? And it's not easy. People don't realize mortal sin is easier than you think. You've always heard me say people think of the obvious, abortion or murder, but gossiping, masturbation, missing mass on Sunday, these are all mortal sins, or, or can be, if you have free will. Now, the purgative way is the first stage to hold this. It's, I don't want to go to hell. That's enough to avoid hell. I just, I'm afraid I don't want to go to hell. You're all in it for yourself, but it's enough. God can work with even a sliver. That's the first little sliver. I don't want to go to hell. It means you believe there is a hell. St. Faustina said most souls are in hell because they believe there is no hell. Or I'm sorry, they don't believe there is a hell. So by saying, I don't want to go to hell, I'm going to cut out mortal sin, you've begun the purgative way. You've become holy. You've started to become holy. Now, at that point, you want to get into the illuminative way, the second stage. How do you do that? The dark night of the senses. Not the dark night of the soul yet. Dark night of the senses. What is dark night of the senses? This is voluntary penance to hold down our appetites like fasting so the gluttony doesn't overtake us or penances of I'm not going to look on the internet or fall into the sin of sexual activity so that, so that I avoid the mortal sin of lust. Okay? It's to deny our appetites. This leads to the illuminative way. What's the second stage of the illuminative way? Now that is, okay, I want to go to heaven. It's not just about avoiding hell. In the second stage, you say, I want to go to heaven because there's something good in it for me. Now, most people who don't go to church can at least get to the purgative way. I don't want to go to hell. But most of you here, I bet, are probably in the second stage, the illuminative. I want to go to heaven because there's something good in it for me. The dark night of the senses, voluntary penances, they help us to do this. You are obedient to the Holy Spirit, and the Lord can work through you. I'm holy because there's something in it for me. Heaven, that's enough to get to heaven. It's not optimum. What is optimum? The third level, the unitive way. All right, now, to get there, you gotta go through something pretty tough. You ever hear a dark night of the soul? Dark night of the soul is where you feel abandoned. What are you doing, God? God lets you feel abandonment. What is dark night of the soul? You're being purified of pride. It's not being purified of all the other sins, because what's the greatest sin? Pride. So in the dark night of the senses, before the second stage, the illuminative, you're purified of appetites, lust, gluttony. But then the Lord waits for the big one. Dark night of the soul. So the dark night of the senses helps you on that middle level. But then he's going to take you into dark night of the soul, where you're being stripped of all pride. Why? I'm being purified of pride. This leads to the unitive way. This is the third level. I want to be holy because I solely and purely and only want to be united with God. 
has nothing to do with me or fear of hell. Fear not. Have no fear. Be not afraid. It's solely I want to love and be unified with God. That's called spiritual marriage. I'm good only because I want to be united to God. St. Teresa of Avila, St. Faustina talked about spiritual marriage. All right, now, these three stages, or as Reverend Jerry Bukorski calls them, the three ages of the eternal life, are awesome. Why? Because they can help us understand the purpose and structure of the Bible and the Mass. This all ties together. It's incredible. This is what I want to take you to seminary with me now. This next 10, 15 minutes are going to get deep, but this is amazing. Now, let's look at our next slide. If Brother Mark can put up our next slide. All right. These are the three stages. The purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive. Now, these help explain the Bible and the Mass. What are you talking about, Father Chris? All right, let's look at the Bible. What's the whole Old Testament? The purgative way. Stop sinning. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's the whole Old Testament. It's the purgative way. Then how did we get into the illuminative way? This is the teachings of the words of Jesus when he was alive. I'm going to teach you how to do good. In the Old Testament, it's don't do bad. And then in the New Testament, Jesus teaches us do good. That's the illuminative way. So in the Bible, we have the Old Testament for the purgative way. Then in the life of Jesus, in his words, we have the illuminative way. I want something. It's heaven. Jesus talked about it. Avoid Gehenna. Come be in the, in the marriage of the Father in the great banquet. That's the illuminative way. Then what's the third great stage? The unitive way. And guess what that is? That's the part of the Bible that brings us the church. Union with Christ through his church. This is the Bible in those three stages of holiness. The whole Bible is leading you from the purgative in the Old Testament to the illuminative, I want heaven, to the unitive, I want to be united with Christ and God. Now, what about the mass? How does the mass reflective of these three great stages to become a saint? You know, that's why the mass can make you a saint. Father, I'm bored at Mass. Are you opening your heart? All right, in the Mass, what's the purgative way? The penitential rite. I confess. I'm sorry, Lord. We're asked to be purged of our sins. Then how do we move into the illuminative way in Mass? The very next part, the readings of Jesus. His words. They tell us about heaven how to be a saint. So we enter into the illuminative way, the readings where God reveals himself through scripture. Then what's the third great stage? The unitive. And where do you fit the unitive in the mass? The Eucharist. It's the ultimate in the form of union. The mass brings all of this together to make you a saint. But do we know this is what's going on? The penitential rite, the beginning of Mass, I'm purged from my sins. The reading of the scriptures, the illuminative, I want heaven, I want, I want something good. Jesus' words gives us something good. And then we go to the Eucharist where we're not just something good in terms of hearing it, we live it, we, we take it in, we are united with Christ. 
This is how the mass brings this holiness so you can become a saint. This is amazing. Christ enters us and we become part of his body, the body of Christ. Oh, my. Our quest for holiness, therefore, must include a love for Scripture and the sacraments of the Mass. It is important to remember that we don't necessarily go through these stages in that order or all at once, but it most likely does happen that way. Sometimes we go through them again and again. We can trace our paths in this lives to that of the saints, getting rid of sin, deep trials, fruitful ministry, dark night of the soul, and then you're united with God, prepared for heaven. Christian path. What is the Christian path? Very simple. You got to have a conversion. Then that leads you to the purgative, illuminative, and unitive way. But let's talk a little bit about how you can start that conversion. All of a sudden you feel motivated. How do you begin a conversion? Let's look at our next slide. Brother Mark can put up the next slide. All right. Here are the steps. And you can find this. We'll leave it up on YouTube. You want the steps for conversion. One, believe in Christ that he is Lord. And that's easy, but trust him. Do his will, not yours. That's the hard part. Two, humbly receive the sacraments. No more. Notice humbly. And obedience to the laws of the church. Remember? Humble, obedient. Padre Pio. Humbly receive the sacraments in obedience to the laws of the church. All right, third, have a habit of regular prayer. That's key. Four, have a habit of regular almsgiving and works of mercy. That's the fruit of your holiness. Five, have a habit of immersing yourself in scripture, either through the liturgy or your own spiritual reading. We have a lot of great books at Marian Press, the Diary of St. Faustina. Six, Become a lifelong learner of the teachings of the church, scripture, tradition, and magisterium. Christ gave us all three. And then finally, the big one, number seven, then you got to be open to God's grace to take you to the next level. You got to become sanctified, sanctified. All right. I keep saying it. Now I'm going to get you into the deep theology. Here we go. Now I'm going to crack open my seminary books. I'm going to take you back to seminary. All that stuff we just gave you is actually pretty simple. Now we're going to get into something deep. Sanctification. What is grace? What is justification? No Catholics I've met can explain the difference between sanctification and justification. I'm about to do that as best I can. Now, Catholicism teaches that sanctification comes by grace alone. This is the third great act of mercy. If you've heard my talks in the past, the first great act of mercy is creation. God created us. All right, now mankind got broken. The second great act of mercy, Jesus came down, redemption. He redeemed us. But if you've heard my other talks, in the Mass, the third and the final and the greatest act of mercy, because the first act was, the Holy Fa uh, was, was God the Father, creation, the second great act of mercy is the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the Redeemer. But in the third and final great act of mercy, guess who? The Holy Spirit will take you back to God the Father, and it's called sanctification. <laughs> sanctification. Now, sanctification is that third great and the greatest act of God's mercy. The greatest. 
we wouldn't, yes, we got to have recreation and redemption, but now by sanctification, we're elevated above the angels. This is amazing. The, this only happens because of grace. Grace from God. It doesn't come from us. This is where non-Catholics accuse us. Oh, you think you could do it all yourself. Jesus did it all on the cross. Jesus won the grace on the cross. He did it all on the cross, but we got to do our part and cooperate with that grace. And then we can be sanctified. All right. We cannot force our own sanctity as we are accused of often as Catholics. We can only open our hearts to receive and cooperate with God's grace. Okay, this is a fact. So unlike other religions, we Catholics know it takes God and the man or woman to be a saint. It takes both. Now, let's look at our next slide. Here's the biggie. You are now entering into third year theology. Sanctifying grace versus actual grace. What is the difference? Okay. Actual grace, God gives to everybody. It's what prompts you to become a better person. It's a little pricking of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I get fun, I find myself complaining about something. Oh my gosh, I can't believe the Holy Father said this, or I can't believe my brother said this, without looking at my own stupid statements. I ask the Holy Spirit to prick me. Every time I start doing that, whoa, it works. It works. And sometimes, most of the time now I try to respond to the Holy Spirit, but sometimes I'll keep going because I'm not surrendering. This is amazing. Now, actual grace is that grace that God gives everybody to start to turn to him, to start to repent to turn away from sin. So it gives you this actual grace, what prompts us. But what is sanctifying grace? Sanctifying grace is what then happens to your soul. You become holy when you act on that grace. So God gives you actual grace. You have a choice to reject it or accept it. If you accept it and you follow in humility and obedience, all of a sudden your soul becomes holy and you become a saint. This is amazing. So actual grace, God prompts you, helps us to act in this life and be transformed into supernatural life, life of God. Natural means life of earth. Supernatural means life of God. All right. Now, our soul in its natural state is not fit for heaven. That's why just being a good person like Adolf Hitler and liking pets and children is not enough. That's the natural state. If you die and your soul is only in the natural state, even if you are good, heaven won't be for you. It won't. Because you've never risen to the supernatural which is what heaven is. Heaven is not the natural. The natural is done away with. You got to prepare in the natural life for the supernatural. This is what being a saint is. Okay, what you need to live in heaven is the supernatural life, which is called sanctifying grace. That's the supernatural life. If your soul is in sanctifying grace when you die, then you are ready for heaven. Even if you need a stopover in purgatory, go see Father Dan. 
I'm shooting us for heaven. He's trying to shoot you to get you out of purgatory. If sanctifying grace does not dwell in you, your soul when you die, your soul will be lost. This is the teaching of the gospel. Somebody says, no, that's man-made teaching. No, that's the words of Jesus. Now, you can obtain supernatural life. How? How? By yielding to those actual graces you receive. Those promptings. God keeps giving you these divine pushes. All right? And all you have to do is cooperate. Like, push, go to church. Push, go to confession. These are actual graces that lead you to sanctifying grace in your soul. For instance, he moves you to repent. And if you take the hint, you will go to confession. All right? Through the sacrament of penance, you are reconciled with God. You receive sanctifying grace. It dwells in your soul. The Trinity now dwells in your soul. So the actual grace was the push to repent and go to confession. Sanctifying grace is what you get when you go there. You see the difference? Actual grace is what prompts you to go there. Sanctifying grace is what you get when you do go. Now the Trinity dwells in your soul. But you can lose that if we sin mortally. The Bible tells us some sin is deadly. Some sin is not. Mortal sins are deadly sins, okay? Because they kill. What do they kill? People think, well, I didn't hurt anybody. I just did something improper on my own. No, you just killed off supernatural life, the sanctifying grace in your soul. You just killed it. Mortal sins cannot coexist in the supernatural life. In the supernatural life, the life of God, mortal sin cannot exist. So if you choose mortal sin, you've cut off supernatural grace, sanctifying grace. It makes perfect sense. God cannot coexist with sin. That's why Mary had to be sinless. Jesus could not coexist in the womb of a sinful womb. Mary had to be sinless because Christ can't co God can't coexist with even any kind of sin. So you have a choice to choose mortal sin or the holiness of the sanctifying grace. And, and, and if we choose mortal sin, we cut ourselves off from sanctifying grace. It makes perfect sense. The church has taught this for 2,000 years. If somebody says to you, this isn't true, and you're making this up, say, well, gee, what are you basing your claim on? Because I guarantee you it didn't start till at least the year 1517. Because prior to the year 1517, this is what every single theologian, church father, priest, bishop, and member of the church taught for 1,500 years. And sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but I'll take the opinion of the Church of Christ established for 2,000 years over your opinion. Okay? So the mortal sins cut this off. Mortal sins can't coexist in the supernatural life. Why? Because mortal sin is saying no to God. Grace is saying yes to God. When you lose that supernatural life, there's nothing you can do on your own to get it back. Nothing. You are reduced to the natural life again. You've just pulled yourself out of the supernatural and you've just fallen down the ladder and you've put yourself back on the natural level. All right? And nothing you can do on the natural plane can merit a supernatural reward. So, if you can't do it, who can? 
the church. Confession, communion. That's how you reconcile back to God. To regain the supernatural life, you have to receive those actual graces, the promptings from God, to cooperate again. This is amazing. Think of these as helping graces. Such graces differ. Actual graces differ from sanctifying grace in that they aren't a quality of the soul. All right? They don't abide in the soul. They just prompt you. Sanctifying grace abides in the soul. Actual graces, they enable the soul to perform the work to become supernatural, such as an act of faith or an act of repentance. If the soul responds to that actual grace and makes an appropriate supernatural act, like going to confession or communion, you're surrendering your will to God's will, and you now are back in the supernatural plane. How incredible. Man, sanctifying grace implies a real transformation of the soul. Why do you think Jesus showed the apostles a transfiguration? You too can be glorified. Jesus showed us in the transfiguration that I'm glorified, Peter, James, and John. You can be too that's transformation. That is sanctifying grace. Protestant reformers, I'm going to explain to you now the entire difference between the Catholic teaching and Protestants. Not all Protestants, but this is a majority. And God bless them. I'm not criticizing Protestants. I know Protestants are going to get to heaven. They are beautiful souls. But the fullness of the truth and an understanding has been given for 2,000 years in the Catholic Church. Let's talk about this. All right. The reformers of the Protestant reform, they denied that any transformation takes place. They said, uh-uh. They said, God doesn't wipe away your sins. Our souls do not become spotless and holy. Really? It's not what the Bible says. Instead, they remain corrupted, full of sin. Martin Luther says, you're just a snow-covered dunghill. You remain a pile of dung, and all God does is sprinkle some snow over it to cover it up. We Catholics don't believe that. We believe that that dunghill that we are is transformed. Not into the pile of dung, but into the pony who led it. Led it. You, ever, you ever hear that, the little boy, that two brothers... One was real negative, and he got all these toys at Christmas, and he was looking through, and he got all the, the nice fire engine and the bicycles, and he wasn't happy, and he says, is that it? So his parents wanted to see how to prove a point, and the other brother, who was a complete optimist, they gave him a box, and he opened it up, and it was manure. And he's, he's all excited, and they said, why are you so excited? He said, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> That's the difference. We believe that we're not just a pile, remain a pile of dung with God's grace. We become something glorified, something united to God. God can't unite with a pile of dung, even if it's got snow over it. He unites with the soul that's been transformed like the transfiguration when Christ went up the hill and was glorified and showed the apostles, you will be too. So, they believe that they re the soul remains corrupted, full of sin, and God just throws his cloak over it. 
and treats them as if they were spotless, knowing all the while they're not, that they're just a pile of dung. This doesn't make sense. Catholics, we rather believe that souls really are cleansed and transformed by an infusion of sanctifying grace. It changes us and prepares us for the supernatural life. How do we know this? Go to St. Paul. Paul writes of us, in Christ, we are a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, put on the new man. Well, what does new mean? Well, if I just sprinkle snow over a dunghill, it's not a new pile of dung. It's the same pile of dung. If it's transformed, then it's new. Paul says this. Grace builds on nature. You may have heard this term before. Grace builds on nature. At baptism, we are sanctified, and that's where you get sanctifying grace. At baptism, now it's up to you if you keep it or not. At baptism, you are given sanctification, sanctified grace. Your intellect is now given the power of faith, something you don't have on the natural level. And our wills are given new powers. So our intellect is given the power of faith, and our will is given the power of hope and charity. That's why they're the three greatest virtues, faith, hope, and charity. We don't get to heaven without them. You don't become a saint without them. This is absent on the natural level. All right, last page. Once our souls are sanctified, then in the eyes of God we are justified, meaning we are now worthy for eternal life in heaven. Once our souls are transformed by grace, then we are justified in the eyes of God. Let's look at our next slide. What is this quote? Now you have been washed clean. This is right out of the Bible. You have been washed clean. Does it still say you're remaining a pile of dung? You have been washed clean and sanctified and then justified through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6.11. In Catholic theology, sanctification is becoming holy and that leads to justification in the eyes of God. If you are holy, you know how they say God will judge us? The saints will tell us this. When you go before the throne of God, God will smell either fragrance and beauty, sweet aroma like roses, or he will smell stench. This is what the saints all tell us. And so if we've been sanctified, he will smell sweet fragrance. If we are not, if we've chosen mortal sin, he will smell stench. Does he justify both those souls? No. Which soul is justified? The one that his grace, now again, you're not justified by your own works. You're not justified by your own efforts. You are justified solely by the grace of God. It's up to you to cooperate or not. That's the difference between Catholic teaching and non-Catholic teaching. All right. In Catholic theology, sanctification is becoming holy. That leads to justification in the eyes of God. You, you are justified as long as you are sanctified. But if you cease to be sanctified by mortal sin, you cease to be justified. You put your soul in danger. This has been church teaching for 2,000 years. This only changed at the Protestant Reformation. The reformers see justification differently. 
For them, justification, and again, when I say them, not all, not all. Okay, I'm just using a general form for most. For them, justification is a legal declaration. If you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he declares you justified. Really? Even if I'm living in everything the Bible says that nothing unclean will get to heaven, no fornicators, no drunkards, none of that, but I'm justified, meaning I'm ready for heaven? I don't need any transformation? I don't need any great uh, uh, time to be purified in purgatory? It doesn't make sense. The, 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 the non-Catholics teach that you aren't sanctified. Your soul is still a pile of dung. But now you're eligible for heaven because you said, I declare Jesus. Well, wait a minute. The Bible says not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You're expected, in their view, to, yes, live a good life. But the degree of your sanctification is insignificant. Because you're all going to get to heaven. Everybody who just declared Jesus is Lord and personal Savior. You will automatically get to heaven since you're automatically justified. Sorry, this is not the Bible. And I'm not criticizing. I know many more holier non-Catholic Protestants than myself. I've always told you, holiest person I ever knew in my life is my little 98-pound Baptist secretary in North Carolina. She was a lot of the inspiration for me to be a priest right now. Because I said, if she can do that much with so much left of the truth, God bless her. What we should be doing with all of the truth, to whom much is given, much is expected. Now, most fundamentalists, not all, say that failing in sanctification will not jeopardize your justification. You'll still get to heaven. Well, we do too, but you've got to be restored. You might sin worse than before you were saved. Really? But you'll enter heaven anyway because you can't undo your justification, which has nothing to do if you have supernatural life in you or not. Now, some non-Catholics might say, well, then, if they sin worse, then they probably were never saved to begin with. I get that. But the point is, why risk it? Why risk not knowing? Just get in a state of grace. Calvin taught... It was impossible to lose your justification. This disagrees with the Bible. Catholics, we see it differently. If you sin greatly, the supernatural life in your soul disappears since it cannot coexist with sin. You cease to be justified. You got to get back to confession. You got to get back to communion. If you were to die while unjustified, you're lost. But you can become justified again by having supernatural life renewed in your soul, and you can do that by responding to God's actual graces. Conversion is daily, not a one-time thing. Just like being a great athlete, you can't say, well, gee, you know, I was quite the wrestler back 20 years ago. No, if you don't keep it up, you're no longer going to be a great wrestler. All right. So let's finish up here. Next, um, next slide. God sends the grace, for example, in a voice that whispers, repent, repent. 
Go to confession. And when you do, your sins are forgiven, reconciled with God, and you have supernatural life again. Or you say to yourself, nah, not now. Maybe tomorrow. And you let that actual grace pass you by. Conversion is daily. How do we know this? Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All right, while mortal sins destroy the supernatural life outwardly, they're deadly. Venial sins do not. What, then what's the problem with venial sins if they don't destroy that supernatural life in you? The trouble with venial sins is they weaken you. They weaken you, and then you will fall mortal. That's how Satan uses the little things. Satan's not going to get a, a real holy moral priest to fall big time morally or scandalously, but he'll get him with the little things. Like maybe missing the divine office prayer for a few days or, or being a little self. He'll get the little things. So the trouble of venial sin is they weaken us, making us more vulnerable to mortal sins. Now, once you have supernatural life, once sanctifying grace is in your soul, just don't say it's done. Increase it by every good thing you do. That's why Catholics believe in good works. Not because it saved us, but because it helps to keep us in imitation of Christ. Receiving communion, saying your prayers, performing works of mercy. But note that we are served, saved by God, not those works. They just strengthen us. It is easy to fall from grace. We know this. And so we have to be more solid in our sanctifying grace in our soul to withstand temptation. This is how we become a saint. Once we have begun walking the road of holiness, we find we are retracing the steps of the saints. Now, I, I may have to end there um, because I want everybody to get to Father Dan's, but I guess I, I could just try to summarize a couple things on Mary. I use Mary uh, and Faustina as examples. All right. You know what? Hmm. The key is to be like Mary. She's the ultimate example. All right. She's the ultimate example of living a Christian life. All right. Why? Humility and obedience. Obedience. Then what happened after she, she was humble and she was obedient to God and said, yes, what then happened? The Trinity came and dwelled in her soul. All right. And it can you too. Jesus described her as an obedient disciple. This is important. He was giving us a spiritual portrait. I'm sorry, when, when Jesus described an obedient disciple, he was basically giving us a portrait of Mary. God came and dwelled within her like no one else. She was full of grace, not O favored one. It's incorrect translation. The spirit overshadowed her. The Lord filled her full of grace. Grace, Jesus himself was literally inside her. She's the model. She's the model. God wants to, us to form, be formed like she formed Jesus in the womb. So you know what? You want to be the quickest, easiest, fastest way to become a saint? Let Mary form you like she did Jesus. That's Mary in consecration. Mary in consecration is saying yes to Mary. Form me like another Jesus in your womb. Mary formed Jesus in the womb. So Mary in consecration is saying, Mary, form me like you did Jesus. Mary in consecration, Jesus wants to include all of us in the work of salvation, including his mother and us. So we know this. Jesus 
calls us. It, 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 I'm going to have to skip all this. Um, all right, so therefore, every person, if, okay, all you have to do is say yes like Mary. This is doing his will. This is doing God's will, not ours. And that's what Marian consecration means, giving Mary your full permission to form you into another Christ. All right, what about Faustina? I'll just summarize her this. You know, I know the whole thing of striving for, for sanctity of St. Faustina. Let me read you the one thing that her professor, or professor, her confessor said. She struggled. St. Faustina did not become a saint overnight. She needed to put forth effort. Her spiritual director said, she worked very hard in obtaining such virtues as purity of heart, humility, patience, conscientiousness, obedience, poverty, gentleness, diligence, love of neighbor, interior recollection, uh, recollection, piety, and above all, a love of God. Then he said, one should not think that she acquired these virtues of the highest level without any difficulty. She had a lot of petty sins. I bet you didn't know that. St. Faustina had a lot of petty sins that she fell into occasionally, whether in speech or in relationships with others, or in reacting with impatience. We don't think about that. Faustina herself struggled with impatience. In minor vanity, wow, St. Faustina struggled with minor vanity? Yes. She struggled with small imperfections. But how did she get out of it? She confessed them and sincerely asked God for forgiveness and the grace to do better. She recovered from them with vigor. She talks about this in her diary. She reminds us that even many of the saints struggle with their fallen humanity. And finally, I'm going to finish with Blessed George, one of our Marian bishops. All right. He basically said the key to the spiritual life. All right. And by the way, uh, I want to show the picture of Mary and Faustina. If Brother Mark hasn't shown them already, there's a picture of Mary. Okay, so that's Mary. Turn to her. She's the ultimate example of a disciple. Let's turn to St. Faustina. She's the ultimate example of finding a saint who struggled, unlike Mary. Um, she struggled, okay? Well, I mean, we all have free will, even Mary did. But now let's go to our next slide. Blessed George, this is where I'll finish. He gave us five steps for growth and holiness. All right, advice from him. This is on our, our Marian website. Okay, he, this is basically the marching orders for you, Marian helpers. Five simple steps. Let's look at them, and then we'll finish. One, pure supernatural intention. Everything you think, say, or do should come from a desire to please God, not man. It should become a habit. Are we trying to please God or man? Two, an examine. E-X-A-M-E-N. That's basically the practice of reviewing your day at the end of the day, seeing where you did good, seeing where you did bad, and asking God for the grace to steer you in the right direction. Meditation, number three. Choose a passage from Scripture. Spend time with it. Pray that Scripture. Lexio Divina, divine reading. Four, spiritual reading outside of the Bible. This is books by the saints by good contemporary writers. And last, confession and spiritual direction. They're not the same. Don't go to confession for spiritual direction. That is there to go to confess your sins, be forgiven, and the next person comes. When you got 30 people in line and you spend 30 minutes in the confessional, you need to sin, confess the sin of charity, lack of charity. <laughs> all right, so, you know, it's funny because this all begins 
with knowing and loving God. You can't love what you don't know. And those five signs are awesome. Spiritual direction, go get a spiritual director. He helps you lead through God's prompting in your life. Now, you can't do this. Can't love what you don't know. You got to know God to love him. How do you know God? I'm hopefully teaching you. All right. How do you know someone? You talk to them. You communicate with them. How do you do that with God? Prayer. Prayer is communication. Prayer will lead us to seek to be in the state of grace and help us remain in a state of grace. Prayer. How do you pray? Well, Brother Mark, show the next video. You can get my talk online called How to Pray. It's right on the YouTube website, How to Pray. All right? So see my other video. It is indispensable. Prayer is indispensable for becoming holy. Next slide. How about the works of mercy? If you're in a state of grace, you will love to serve your neighbor. I also have a video on this. This video is called the corporal works of mercy. How to do the great works of God, imitating Christ. We need to do more than just believe in Christ. We have to believe he is savior and not just that he exists. The demons believe God exists. We have to let him be our God. All right, we need to be more than just following rules. We need to have faith leading us to serve one another. When we love and we let love lead us, we allow our faith in God to help us overcome our vices and we begin to live more as Christ did. And finally, the last slide, we become holy and thus we become saints. And there's the last video I'm going to show, that slide, I have that video up, the role of the saints. You can see that talk on YouTube as well. You know, we become holy, then we become saints. Praise be to God now and forever. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. We invite you all to become Marian Helpers, uh, micprayers.org. If Brother Mark can put it on the screen, help receiving. You say, Father, how do I get grace? You become a Marian Helper. There's no cost. Takes but a second. And you totally, totally can start receiving graces from our masses, rosaries, prayers, and penances. Praise be to God for you coming today. We're very grateful. Now you got 45 minutes to go eat and see Father Dan. God bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.